The Thriving Over Surviving podcast is for informational and inspirational purposes and not meant to be medical advice. Please consult your physician for any medical issues you may be facing. The opinions expressed by guests and advertisers are their own and not necessarily the opinions of Thriving Over Surviving podcast. There's nights when I still cry myself to sleep because because things are getting worse sometimes and I don't know what that means. I don't know if this is it or if it's going to keep going. So I, I don't not feel sadness. I just get up afterwards and keep persevering. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of our autoimmune diagnoses, but ultimately how we thrive in spite of it. I'm your host, Edie Sahesian. I was diagnosed in 2015 with multiple sclerosis. I've learned a lot about MS in myself over the past few years, but the most important thing I realize is that I am going to live my best life. MS and other autoimmune diseases tend to be a bit of a bummer if we let them. So why not battle back by finding our joy? Perseverance is doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. For me, the words grit, determination, and tenacity come to mind. My guest today believes that as warriors, we cannot give up. She believes in this, that she is fearless. She is not afraid to follow her gut. A wife, a mother, and an MS warrior who found purpose in her diagnosis by helping others take back control of their health and well-being, Jessica has learned that we each have our own story and unique journey. She says that we have the right support if we have that support plan for our health and overall well-being in place, then we can thrive. And you know I'm so down with that. So let's chat it up with Jessica Turner. Hi, hon. How are you today? Hi, I'm so good. Thanks for having me and thanks for such a lovely introduction. Oh, my pleasure. I am so glad we've connected. I think that it is so that term perseverance. So you had identified that as your um, core value. Perseverance is one of them. And I just think that that's such a valuable thing to keep in the back of your mind. Just it, it must help you to keep going. So let's talk about your diagnosis story and maybe how that contributed to the way that you have come to live your life. Sure. And yeah, I think, I mean, I was really fortunate to be raised with perseverance. Like my parents believed and told me from as long as I can remember that I could achieve anything I wanted to achieve if I was willing to do the work. And so that I realized later on in life, when you meet people who didn't have that as a foundation, how much, how harder it is to get into the headspace of perseverance when it's not part of how you were raised. But for me, my diagnosis was very much out of left field. I was not remotely prepared. I didn't, I've listened to so many stories about symptoms and symptoms in years and years. And looking back, I guess I had a few symptoms that were easily, you know, I had some issues with my back that we couldn't explain. I had issues with my gut that we couldn't explain. Everyone always seemed to get sick around me and I never did, which was interesting, but I realize now it's because my immune system was already <laughs> ready to go. Um, and so I was in my early 30s and I was living my best life. I had a job in corporate marketing and advertising. I had my own business. I was always kind of the, the friend who was always helping everybody with their issues and their problems. And I was great. And one day I was, I was actually having sushi with my girlfriend, which is what we used to do every Thursday and watch Grey's Anatomy. 
And I started to feel really woozy, like dizzy and lightheaded. And my blood pressure sits pretty low. So I've had dizziness before, and I assume that's what it was. Not really thinking, well, you know, you, but you're sitting down. So you probably shouldn't be dizzy while you're already sitting. And one of the biggest things that's changed in me in the last 12, 13 years since this happened was that my instinct was to flee the situation and go be private when I wasn't feeling well. So I tried to go to my friend's washroom and I made it as far as the doorway and I passed out, hit my face on the sink and really awesome, landed in some of her cat litter that she had kept in the, so it was a really awesome opportunity here for embarrassment. Um, so anyway, but I couldn't really, I couldn't really get it together. So I, I was, I came out right away, but I was really groggy. So my friend ended up having to call the ambulance, which was super stressful. Cause I was like, I'm fine. I can get up, but I couldn't. My pressure was like 80 over 50. Like they said, no one can get up at this point. Just relax. So I was in hospital and I kept saying like, there's an itching under my rib cage as well. And that just showed up out of nowhere. They kept me overnight. They monitored me, said, yeah, you have low, low, low blood pressure and keep an eye on the, on the itchiness. It could be shingles. So watch for a rash. And they sent me home. And so over the course of the next two weeks, that itching started to spread and turn into numbness. And it was hard to explain because it was, I could feel it. It was just like someone zapped all the sensitivity and all the sensation to my skin. And over the course of those two weeks, it literally, it was like someone drew a line from my chin to, to the ground and my right side of my body from my chin down started to go numb. And at that point I thought, well, this probably isn't good. So I should probably see a doctor. <laughs> and I went to my GP who, you know, luckily for me, she knew she was out of her depth. Like she knew she didn't know what she was looking at. So she said, I'm going to try to help you find someone to see. But if you, if you're concerned, just start going to emergency rooms. So in Canada, that's where I am in Canada. You can, I could hop five different emergency rooms if I wanted to, to get five different opinions. I mean, it's a long, gross process, but it can still be done. And she was just thinking like, we need to find a doctor who recognizes what's happening here because I was functioning, but I wasn't fun. Like I kept joking and saying like my muffin top on my right side has gone numb. I can't feel it, but I can feel the left one. Like it was <laughs> so Fast forward, she got me in to see uh, a neurologist and the neurologist was within five minutes said, you know what? You're right. You're young. You're in your early thirties. You shouldn't be experiencing this. Let's, I'm not going to send you home till I can tell you what's going on. And then he came back a few minutes, ran a few little tests and came back and said, I'm going to admit you to the hospital. I want to run some more tests. And I'll tell you up until that point, it never occurred to me that this was something that was going to be a big deal. I mean, a few people had mentioned pinch nerve and I was like, I, it's clearly not a pinch nerve because mm -hmm. it's the entire right side of my body. But it wasn't until I walked into the hospital and they were waiting with a chair to take me to my MRI that I thought I should probably call someone because you can't get an MRI in 10 minutes anywhere unless, right. unless there's, there's something they're looking for. Yes. So at the time I didn't have, I was married not necessarily with the most supportive person. So I called my best friend as a lot of us do, and she was there pretty quick. And by the time, I mean, MRI, I got admitted. I remember sitting in the hospital and five doctors walked in and my friend was there and they said, we need a minute. And I said, no, no, she needs to stay. Cause I knew enough to know I wasn't going to be able to retain all of the information. Yeah. You never do, but it was, and I, I joke because I try to keep it light, but it was like a wedding proposal. They said, I'm S and then I heard nothing else. Ah, just like, you know, will you marry me? Yeah. I didn't hear, I didn't hear all the other beautiful things. I just knew what was happening. And it was obviously one was positive, one less so, <laughs> but 
I just, I just, I didn't even know what it was. I didn't even know what that meant for me. And I've always been someone who is really guarded with my feelings. I'm, I'm comfortable with them, but I don't like to show them. I don't like people worrying about me or feeling bad for me. So I instantly went into that internal mode and just sort of tried to start processing. I ended up being in the hospital for two weeks. It took them two weeks. They said the lesion on my spine was was significant and that's what was causing all of the issues. So it took two weeks of prednisone and a lot of medications to get it um, under control. And at the time they sort of said, you know, so you need to reduce your stress, sleep more and avoid being around sick people. And someone will call you in the next six months to set up an appointment and then sent me home. That was, so I got my information from Google between, you know, midnight and 3am when I couldn't sleep in the hospital. And that was it. I went home two weeks later and I kind of stuck my head in the sand. Like I really, I really wasn't ready to process it. And then I had my, I got a call to see a doctor and the doctor right away wanted to talk about medications. And at that time, I think it was, there were only interferons. There was only a few medication options. And he said to me, I really think it's important that you start taking these right now. You know, you're young. We want to stop the disease from progressing. And then he started telling me all the side effects I was going to have. And he said, I believe he said extreme flu-like symptoms for up to six months for a 30% for a thirty chance of reduction in, in a relapse. And so I remember being the first time in my life, because you trust doctors, you trust police, you trust doctors, like you do what they tell you. And I remember saying, do I have to? Like, I don't feel like I want to say yes to that yet. A, I'm not sure I want to, I haven't fully accepted the diagnosis, but if I start medicating myself, like that's as accepting as you can get. Right. So I said, can I just have some time to process this and think about what I want to do? And he said, you know, yeah, take a few, take a few months, do your research. He gave me some information. He was actually quite supportive. I know I've heard some horror stories of docs that are not as open-minded. Anyways, I came back a few months later and I said, I feel okay. And I don't want to take medication that makes me feel sick because I might get sick. That's yeah. not the life that I want to live. So we had an agreement. He said, I will commit to you to let you try this naturally. If you commit to me that if it doesn't work, that we, that you're open to talking about medication. And I said, hundred percent, like there's a time and place for it. I agree. And so that was it. And I kind of went off, stuck my head back in the sand. I mean, I got, I did step back from a few things. I realized I needed to take a step back from doing so many things, but honestly, I would probably spend the next five years pretending it wasn't real. Uh, that best friend of mine that, came to the hospital with me. We named it my BS because I was Your like, BS? I kept saying my BS because okay. I was like, maybe I don't actually have it. Maybe they got it wrong. <laughs> I said that for a long time. I don't know if anyone okay. else did that, but no <laughs> symptoms. I'm like, maybe they were wrong. Maybe it's bullshit. Maybe it's just BS. Maybe it's not MS. Right. And then of course, you know, about five or six years ago, I just started having more symptoms. Like as I aged, I hit 40 hormones, everything else sort of kicked in. And, and that's really when I started to, you know, spend a bit more time figuring out how I was going to manage it. But it's funny, you talk about the perseverance part of it. It just, it never occurred to me to not persevere. Like one of my options to sit in it, because that was gross. And I went, I remember going once to a support group about two months after the diagnosis and everybody was complaining about how hard it was. And a lot of these people didn't have anything physically preventing them from living the life they wanted. And they were still, they were doing the, what's going to happen to us. Everything's going to become awful. We're going to have, and I remember leaving in the middle of it thinking like, this is not the environment that is going to help me manage this. And so 
a lot of it became, I, I had to rely on myself because I didn't know anyone else that, that was in my shoes, anyone that could relate to me. And it didn't take me long to start realizing, you know, when everybody says, oh, you're tired. Yeah, yeah, I know I'm tired too. Where I just, I just made you feel more and more alone because nobody understood what was going on, you know? So how did you get out of that? I mean, it's really interesting because I had a very similar situation and all the images that I saw were of people in wheelchairs and things, right? And I can't imagine because 2009, there's a lot less information than there is now, even in 2015 when I was diagnosed. And so when you're seeing that and you know, you want to persevere through it, but you're not seeing or hearing anybody that's in your shoes kind of what, what were your next steps there? Yeah. So like I said, this is sort of where I realized that I was quite lucky because it didn't occur to me to not persevere like this. I can't sit in things when I know it's not enough or it's not working or I'm not getting what I need. And I was acutely aware that stress management was so important. So I needed to figure out what I was going to do with this, because if not, I don't know about you, but the most frustrating thing I've ever heard from a doctor is, oh, this is happening because you're stressed because you're not effectively managing your stress. But that's stressful to tell me that my body's shutting down because I'm not managing my stress. So like, right. okay. Right. And so I do what I, what I normally do when I can't get the answers I want from people I want is I figure out how to get the answers myself. And so that's what I did. I, I started joining groups I, and looking for, for the energy that I was looking for, for supportive energy. I went on social media and started looking a bit more. I was still, I was still private until a few years ago. A few years ago is really like when I got a bit more open about my diagnosis. So for a while I was kind of just watching and I would connect with the odd person. But a few years ago I started getting more open because I was having more symptoms, frankly. And and one of the things that I have really believed in since I, frankly, since I hit my 40s, so I've been, you know, married, divorced, I have a child, I've had a miscarriage, I've had all of the things that most women have experienced. And no one talks about it until someone says it first. And I realized that if I was sitting here quietly stressed out about my diagnosis and not feeling alone with it and not sure what to do, there had to be other people like me. So I started talking about it. And as soon as I did, the doors blew open. Everybody knew somebody. And frankly, a lot of people knew people like me that were on their own with it. And they really were like, could I connect you? Because I really think that my friend would benefit from knowing that you've been there. Yes. And it became much more mutually beneficial than I ever thought it would because it connected me to people which really, really fed my energy. And it created this community that gave me some somewhere to go to not feel so alone. So in the community, because from what I'm hearing and understanding from you, you never had another relapse between your initial diagnosis and now. Is that accurate? That is accurate. I've had symptoms, but I have been very, very fortunate to not have an official relapse. So what are your years. symptoms right now? So my symptoms are fairly managed with supplements and other natural things. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, in Canada, it's legal. So. Oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. I got, I got you so, now. I'm, so, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so my, the most common symptoms for me, obviously fatigue, but I'm again, lucky that most of the time it, it's not an issue. So when it's an issue, it kind of just stops me in my tracks and I respect it. I started getting a lot more nerve pain, especially at night. So started having burning under my arms and in that sort of crazy leg syndrome. A lot of these things at first I didn't even know were symptoms. Like 
So again, having people to talk to when they say, oh, me too, me too, me too. I thought, oh, okay, it's making sense now. Like, So, you know, and spasticity and sort of muscle recovery, I think. One of the things that I really have noticed in the last few years is that some days I feel like I'm 25 and some days I feel like I'm 75. So, and it's not, it's my body tells me what it's prepared to do. And that's been a huge adjustment too, because I'm used to just being a doer. Have you found in the community that you've created now, have you found other people in that same situation where they don't really have a ton of symptoms, but they know it's there and they're kind of trying to work to manage it? Because I, I'm, I would call myself in that in that boat. I mean, I did have a few relapses, but I haven't had one in a long time, and I do have constant symptoms, but I'm not like progressing badly. I'm not having lots and lots of relapse. Have you found people to connect with there? Absolutely. And you know, I'll tell you one of the most amazing experiences I had was I had a friend connect me with a 16 year old girl who had been diagnosed at the age 13. And we had a call with her and her mom and her mom was, her mom was amazing, but her mom was telling me how much she loves her daughter, how she knows exactly what her daughter is going through. And she just was really, you know, wanting to, to be that connector for her daughter. And And I remember saying to her, like, I know you, I I can tell you love her. And that's amazing, you know, and, and no disrespect because those that love us, you know, do our best, but you don't actually have any idea how she's feeling. Mm. You you don't. And this girl started to cry, this 16 year old girl. And I said, are you okay? And she said, I've been alone with it for three years, three years of not, you know, I'm, I'm 16. I tell my friends, I can't go out. They think I'm lazy. They don't realize I'm tired. They, you know. Just, just look, all those little things. And I just remember thinking like, this is what I want to do. I just want to talk to people and say, you're not alone. And it doesn't matter how, I mean, I have friends who are way more progressed than me. I have friends who have secondary progressive. I have friends who progressive. There's lots of commonalities regardless. I think part of, part of it is we all start, most of us start here, We all start in a place where it's, it's minimal. And then And we're all fearful of what that change looks like as it happens. And some of us, it happens more and others just stay fearful of it, right? That's to me, that's how I see it is the journey is about fear and acceptance and everybody's journey is different, but it's equally scary when you're in it because it's your journey and your next step is as scary as the next person's next step. Agreed. And I'm that story that you told about the girl. I, I know a lot of people can, it resonates with them. in your your Instagram handle is <laughs> very interesting. I think it's being a healthy unicorn and I'm just listening yeah. to you talk and yeah, you kind of are that. Can you tell us how that came to be? <laughs> sure. So I will say I was probably born as the unicorn and, and and as as an adult, you know, going through life stuff even before my diagnosis, I was the silver lining girl. That's just who I was. Uh, Everybody came to me for the silver lining and you know, one of my favorite quotes is you don't get rainbows without rain. It's not possible. Right. So you have to go through and, and, and be okay with the ups and downs. That's part of life, but you always have a choice in what you're going to do about it. Like you can't control what people do to you. You can't control always what happens to you, but you can always control what you're going to do about it. And I just think I've always opted for happier. I've always opted for better. And so as a unicorn, you know, that was sort of my thing. And then I got diagnosed and I remember someone saying to me, like, you must be devastated. And I said, why would I like, I feel a bit guilty that I got a diagnosis and I'm not more sick, but I'm not devastated. 
have been given this gift of perspective of what if, to think about what if at an age way earlier than most people do. So I can say with confidence that I've lived my last 12 years, like very aware of how lucky I am that I get to get up every day and choose what I want to do. And that to me was, was a huge part of how I process my diagnosis. I would allow myself to grieve it. And I'll, even when the symptoms come, like that, that's stressful. There's nights when I still cry myself to sleep because, because things are getting worse sometimes. And I don't know what that means. I don't know if this is it or if it's going to keep going. So I, I don't not feel sadness. I just get up afterwards and keep persevering. And and that has sort of evolved into the work, into the health side of things because as I was having more symptoms, every time I went to a doctor, either my you know, MS doctors want to medicate you and non-MS doctors don't want to touch you because you have MS and they don't know what to do with you. I went to trainers. I went to nutritionists. Same thing. They Those that specialize in MS were like, how's your walk? How's your balance? I'm like, no, no. I, like I... I just had done a duathlon. This was this whole thing happened at once. I tore my meniscus doing a duathlon and the, and everybody kept asking me how my balance was. And I was like, I'm not here because my disease is progressing. I'm here because my muscles don't recover the same way. And I'm looking for some support and no one would help me because no one knew how to help me. They either needed me to be more progressed or healthy, right? It, it, there was no option. I got annoyed and I decided to go to school part-time and start learning so I could figure this out for myself because I didn't want to just keep feeling worse and I didn't want to just opt for medication if there was an option in between. So I went to school and I got certified in nutrition and fitness nutrition and just understanding the science of how our bodies work and how autoimmune really works and how it interacts. And like I said to you, some days I feel 25 and some days I'm 75. That part's not in my control. But whether I still go do a workout or take my dog for a walk or do whatever I want to do, that's within my control. So sometimes I run and sometimes I walk, right? So I really just, I just, I have unicorn, as I say, a unicorn, as many things as I can. And that is, you know, you every path you get to, you can choose to sit in it or you can choose to go find the rainbow. So you said a lot in that, right? You said so much. So I have tons more questions. So tell us first off about the the duathlon. So that was in 2019, I think you said. Tell us about how that came about. That's so exciting. What an accomplishment. Yeah, it's probably been, it was a big one for me because, you know, before my diagnosis, if someone had said one day you're going to become a runner, I would have said, unless someone's chasing me, I don't think so. It wasn't really my thing. I mean, I, I like to play sports, but that wasn't really just, I wasn't biking and running and that kind of thing. But then you know, I got the diagnosis and I've heard, I've heard some of the other, your other podcasts and people just awful things that doctors would say to them, like, you know, you know, this could happen to you and that could happen to you. And the same thing I had doctors saying to me, like, you could end up in a wheelchair. You might not be able to do these things. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't try to start running now. It's probably not Mm -hmm. good for you. I mean, when I was five and my parents told me not to do it, I did it. When I'm 45, if you tell me not to do something, I'm going to go do it for the sake of proving that I can, if I want to. (laughs) So I didn't do the duathlon to win. When I was younger, I liked to win. And then as I got older, I realized I just wanted to finish it. I just wanted to compete Mm -hmm. and my own, you know, and part of it was a huge emotional journey because there was days when I couldn't train as hard. And so I had to go through the whole process of accepting my limitations and finding that line to persevere right up to where I should be. I didn't want to hurt myself, but I didn't want to let myself off the hook. I have this little mantra that I say in my head when I'm doing these trainings and these, and when I did the duathlon as well, 
<clears throat> and that is, and I'm not going to actually say the words. I'm saying what I say in my head, which is F-U-M-S, F-U-M-S. That's my chant when I'm biking, when I'm running, because you don't get to, like, if you want me, it's, you're, you're up for a fight because this is what you're going to get. You're going to get this every time. And so the journey was important for me because it was about acceptance, but I finished. I happened to tear my meniscus on the last leg of the run part and I still finished. But that honestly, that injury, which healed and was fine, was the catalyst for all of my training because I couldn't get anyone to help me, that nobody was able to figure out how to support me. And it just enraged me. And that became the next level of I've got to make, I'm going to take control of this. If you're not going to help me, I'm going to figure out how to help myself. So what did that mean when you went back to school? What was that all about? I'll be honest. Part of it is I'd lost my faith in trusting of doctors completely. Ah, okay. I think there's an importance for doctors and believe me, I like, I love my doctor, my MS doctor, my regular uh, GP, they're great. And, and part of it is finding one that works for you too. But they could only refer me to people. They couldn't find people that were willing to help me with the physio or willing to help me with, you know, understanding nutrition and supplementation and those things. So the schooling really was for me to better understand how to put together, like find out what I might be doing that might be making things worse. What foods should I give up? What should I try? I've always been a bit of an education junkie. If I want to do something, I really want to immerse myself and understand it. And it, it started, I started feeling benefits right away as I changed my diet and started adding in the right supplements. I started really feeling the benefits of those. And so it reinforced that I was in the right path for, as far as gathering of information and education. And it, it only evolved because other people started seeing how much better I was feeling. And they were saying, can, again, can I connect you with someone? Or I know someone that might benefit. I have a, a girlfriend who, who has a secondary progressive and I've even, she's taking her medications. She takes all of that stuff, but even working with me holistically, she's improved her symptoms. Nice. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's just, it's really enjoyable to be able to have my own personal benefit and then share that with anyone that's looking to be able to add to that too. Yeah. I, that fills my bucket when I can learn some stuff, but then when I share it with others, even better. Right. And it reinforces yep. it in me. It holds me more accountable when I'm sharing the stuff with the other people. And so it's all around winning, <laughs> in my opinion. So I, yeah. I know that you have a regular nine to five job, but you're also, you know, really trying to get this underway and help people. So what does that entail for you? How do you fit it into your life? It's so funny because I, when I started doing this, I would never have taken on another job because I'm supposed to manage my stress and my time and my sleep and all of those things. But it sort of evolved into helping people. And I, I don't know, I said to my husband said, like, as long as you're, as long as this is feeding you, then it, then it's okay. You know, like it's, you it just need to make sure it doesn't start to feel like stress. And I said, but the, my full-time job, which I do love, and I'm lucky I love that. It affords me the ability to do this because I love it and not because I need to. So part-time I, I, I do health coaching with people. Sometimes it's supplementation, but a lot of times it's mindset. Like that's a big foundation for me. And in general is that you have to believe you're capable of making the changes you want to make in your life before you're going to be successful making those changes. And, and so I do it, I do it part-time and I do it because I want to, and I do it because it, it feeds me. It really does. Like those, that 16 year old girl, I, I talked with a 60 year old gentleman who had been diagnosed very late and his hands wouldn't move. He couldn't unclench his hands. And after working with me, just with supplementation and food changes within two weeks, he was using his hands again. Oh like, my gosh. Those are things. 
Right. It's like, and I'm not saying that, that it happens that easily. He's, he's super diligent and he's been changing his diet, et cetera. But to be part of people's journey as they learn things about themselves or change things, it just, it feeds me. So, you know, in many ways I feel kind of selfish because I really enjoy doing it. It doesn't feel like work. Isn't that, it's just wonderful. Uh, You know, I have this thing and it's not good, but because of that thing, I'm able to do this wonderful, wonderful thing in my life and benefit myself and benefit others. And it's, it's a game changer, really. For me, I was just in this stressful, stressful place and I loved living there. I fed off of it. I got my energy from it and I'm so, so glad that I realize, even if I'm put in that kind of stressful situation, that I need to do different things to get out of it. And otherwise I'd still be there. And I know it would have led to other health issues, if not MS anyway. I'm grateful for it. I agree. Like I, I think that awareness and the diagnosis can, can really give your, like I always say, it gave my diagnosis purpose by being able to help other people right? Like that to me has become a huge thing. And so it continues to give me that so that, you know, you get frustrated, of course, but I also know that my frustrations, like my friends will joke on social media, they'll post something about self-care and then they're like, how are you doing? Cause you've only posted it. Cause you're aware that you're not doing a very good job at it right now. And so it's my own accountability though, right? If you see me posting and talking about things, it means it's relevant to me right now too. So it really does help support my own journey as well, like you said. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So you're in Canada, but you do this stuff remotely, right? These these people are all over the world? Absolutely. I've, and that's part of the fun, you know, is you're talking to people from other countries because even just in the MS community and the medical community, how different it's treated. Like I've talked to some amazing warriors in the UK where holistic approach is a lot more supported and common there than it is in Canada and the US. Just different rules and regulations and just different. Yeah, just different. I mean, there's one of the women that I've been sort of met a little bit and watched her. She just finished doing the stem cell treatment and she's like, she, she's like walking unaided. Like, so it's just, it's just amazing. There's just, it's inspiring. It's inspiring and it's motivating. And it, frankly, I keep saying I should probably start traveling more so I can meet these warriors (laughs) and give me a reason to, to pick up, to pick up traveling a bit more often. Yes, yes. I want to bring everybody together so we can have some big like celebration of our awesomeness yes. together, like a, a big thriving party. So we'll have to have that in the works and, and figure it out. That would be great. Definitely. So yeah, and I feel like, you know, th- this thing is bringing you so much joy and filling your bucket that it's just helping to motivate you and move forward even more. So mm-hmm. I know you did the triathlon, you went back to school, you, you reduced some of that stress by getting out of a relationship. You must feel really proud of those accomplishments. And what's next for you? Hmm. What's next for me? That's a good question. You know, it's funny because I... So I'm not a big resolution person. In fact, I'm kind of anti-resolution. I believe instead of adding one more thing to your plate that you need to try to accomplish, because most of us, I don't know about everyone else, but I don't always feel like at the end of the year, I managed to accomplish everything. So why would I add one more thing to the list? I say, take something away that's not feeding your soul to make more time for the things that you want to do more of, right? Yes. And so this year I said, I'm going to put myself out there. And I'm not going to say no to any opportunity that's presented to me, especially if it gets me out of my comfort zone. And then you messaged me like two days later. So 
I said yes. And then <laughs> I've had a few other people reach out for like some speaking gigs and a few things. And I've been like, yes, yes, sure. I'll do these things. So I would say I'm going to spend 2022 out of my comfort zone more than usual. And yeah, and I just, I really want to keep meeting people. I just, I love meeting new people. I love the part about being able to help them if they need it. But I, I love just connecting and learning more about people. And so I just want to do more of that as well. Wonderful. I, I have had been smiling this entire conversation oh. because, you know, it's so interesting. We're talking about really heavy topic, right? This is a debilitating disease. It's changing your whole life, but you've really used that gift of perseverance to battle through it and just lead this very productive and happy life. And I'm I'm blessed to know you. So tell us about where we can find you if people wanted to reach out and locate you. Sure. So definitely you can check me out on Instagram at being a healthy unicorn. My website is being a healthy unit or being a unicorn.com. Sorry. Cause that was, I mean, the health part is part of it, but the unicorn is all of me. And yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of being a unicorn.com is probably the best place. Cause it's got lots of information. It's got all of my contact information as well. Nice. Jessica, I heard a yeah. puppy over there. Who's, who's did? I know she's, <laughs> What's her name? Of course, because that's uh, her name is Juno, and Juno. she is a pot cake from St. Lucia. So Juno is a uh, goddess of women. Oh, mm -hmm. nice. So, nice. Um, and we have a cat from St. Lucia. Her name is Freya, which is another queen. And so my husband and my son are outnumbered with the females. I feel like when you have pets, they just make your life happier. Mine just makes me smile and laugh all the time. So... And they know, like they know when you're, when you're up, they know you're up. And when you're down, like, I just love how they can sense if I'm having a down day or an off day or my energy's off, they're more attentive. Like it's, it's so, so fun to watch that connection. It really is. It really is. I really appreciate you being here, Jessica, from you don't get rainbows without rain. You can control what you're going to do about it. Allow yourself to grieve, accepting limitations, but don't let yourself live off of that. Make, what did I write down here? I think I wrote, oh, this is what I wrote, F-U-M-S. <laughs> Yes. As your as your mantra, yes. <laughs> take things away that don't feed your soul and step out of your comfort zone. It's been a wonderful half an hour chatting with you. Thank you so much for being here today. Have a good one, everybody. Keep thriving. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. If you would like to join our growing community of thrivers, there are a lot of ways to do so. Visit the website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. There you'll find links to all our social media, my blog, and lots more. See you next time when we chat it up with another autoimmune warrior on the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. Keep thriving.